0: We are continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this is Jesus preaching, and we can find that in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, the end of that chapter. And uh, remember that Jesus is basically introducing the kingdom of God. He is introducing this kingdom that is so different from the kingdom of This world, right? It it is uh, completely different. He says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, right? That is the different, uh, a different um, blessing than what the world would say, correct? And so um, as we talked about last week, Alex um, preached on, where is your treasure? Is your treasure stored up in things in this world? Is it stored up in the material possessions of this life? Or is your treasure... um, is your attention, is your devotion put in things of eternity? Is it put towards kingdom treasures? Towards what God would have? Uh, because as we talked about last week, do not store or do not treasure the things of this earth where moth and dust, dust destroy. Things of this world, they don't last. But instead, lay up your treasures in heaven. Um, and so one cannot serve both God and money. That's how we ended last week. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says you cannot serve both God and money, that God does not share his throne, right? That if we are followers of Jesus, if we say that Jesus is our Lord, that God is our master, that means that we can't have another master. You can't share that role. That's just common sense. And so we were forced last week to ask ourselves, What am I devoted to? Where is my treasure stored up? Is it in the things of this world or is it in heaven? We can't serve God and anything else. It's God or something else, not both. And so what we're looking at today is directly tied to what we talked about last week. Today we are going to be talking about anxiety. Today we are talking about worry and some of you just got filled with anxiety and worry. And let's, uh, let's just calm down, take a deep breath. Uh, anxiety is rampant in our society, right? It's rampant in our world. Um, medically speaking, they say that over 40 million American adults, that's about 20% of the American adult population, are diagnosed with anxiety. About 40 million people, over 40 million people. And so whether that is a general anxiety, whether that is um, social anxiety, whether that is panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, PTSD, um, whether that is specific phobias that you have. I think some phobias are probably healthy, like snakes and spiders. Like, they're, they're bad. Like, let's just get that out of the way. Um, but uh, anxiety is so common in our society. And if you actually pay attention to it, what is the word that the world uses? They say, we will help you manage your anxiety. That's the best the world can do. That the world will help you manage your anxiety, whether that's through medicine, whether that is through tips and tricks and and things that you can do. But what Jesus says here, and what we're going to look at today, Jesus tells us, do not be anxious. Jesus clearly flat out says, do not be anxious. And if Jesus is saying it in a command form, what does that mean? It means that if you are anxious, you are sinning. And maybe you hear that and you say, how can Jesus say that? Jacob, how can you stand up there and say that it's a sin for me to be anxious? Isn't that uncompassionate? Isn't that unloving? You don't understand my condition. It's not just that easy. I just can't not be anxious. I wish I could. And I get that. But what Jesus tells us today is do not be anxious. And what I want us to do is I want us to go through the scripture Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Remember, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He is on a hillside. He is near the Sea of Galilee. He is speaking to his disciples. And um, although we have broken up the scripture from last week with the scripture today, uh, the Bible didn't do that. Jesus didn't take a week off before he preached this part, Um, but we did. But remember, last week, where's your treasure? Is it on earth or is it in heaven? So Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, therefore, I tell you, What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus three times in these nine verses says, do not be anxious He says in verse 25, verse 31, and verse 33, do not be anxious. But Jesus doesn't say do not be anxious and commands it and leave it at that. He actually gives us reasons. He gives us an argument for his reasoning. And so we're going to look at three arguments that Jesus makes. Do not be anxious, what does he say, about your life. Verse 25, do not be anxious about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. It's not, is not your life more than food? Is not your body more than clothing? In verse 26, Jesus directs his disciples' attention to two places. As I said, he's on this hillside near the Sea of Galilee, and he says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds that are flying around right now. Are, they neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, but yet your father, not the bird's father, your father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? If we jump down to verse 28, Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, Solomon was one of the richest men in history. Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these lilies. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? God provides for the birds. Aren't you more valuable than the birds? Yes. If God cares so much about the grass that he puts wildflowers to decorate it and make it pretty, don't you think he also cares about you? Yes. And Jesus' first argument is do not be anxious. Why? Because you have a good father. Jesus tells his disciples, you have a good father. You know what the Bible says? It never says that God is the father of the birds. The Bible never tells us that God is the father of the flowers or the grass. He is the creator, but he's not their father. We are the only thing in all of creation that can say that God is our father. We are the only one with that relationship as a child of God. And so if God, our Father, provides for the birds, he provides for the grass, don't you think he's going to provide for his children? Our Father knows what we need, and he is willing and able to provide for you. We are more valuable than the birds. We are more loved than the lilies. We have a good Father. God is that Father. So I want you to imagine with me a a five-year-old kid. Maybe some of you have a five-year-old kid. They can be six. They could be four. It doesn't really matter. It's just a story. Um, this kid goes to their dad, and this kid, the little boy, goes up and said, Dad, sit down. You know, Dad, I've really been thinking about it, and uh, I don't know if we're going to have food next month. Dad, I, the other people in this house, they turn the lights on, and they leave the room. Dad, they open the front door, and they just let all the hot air come in and the cold air go out. They go to the fridge, and they just stand there with it open, Dad. I don't think we're going to be able to pay our electric bill. It's the summer. We live in Arizona. It's hot. Dad, I just, I'm worried, frankly. What would a good dad say? That's not your worry. It's not your responsibility. I'm the dad. Don't worry about that. Why are you even thinking about these things? I'm the dad. Hey, guess what? Look, our dog has food in his bowl. Our dog has food in his bowl, and miraculously, our car has gas in the tank. All right? If those two things are true, don't you think I'm going to put food on the table for you, son? Son, it is not your responsibility to worry about what we are going to eat or if the bills are going to be paid. That's my responsibility. I'm the dad. I'm the adult. I'm the grown-up. And you see, we laugh about that because it's not like a kid to be worried. I told you those statistics about anxiety earlier. It is very, very rare for a young child to have any sort of anxiety. They usually develop that once they get a little bit older and they get closer to being a teenager. They start to develop these anxieties. They start to develop these anxiety disorders as they get older. But for a young child, why do they not have anxiety? Because they trust their parents. They don't think, they don't worry about the struggles of this life. They don't worry about food on the table. They don't worry about the bills being paid. They just trust that it's going to happen. And if God is our good Father and we are His children, why don't we trust that our Father is going to take care of what He's responsible for? It's not our responsibility to find the oxygen to breathe. It was not our responsibility to form our bodies within our mother's wombs. It was God's. So why do we develop this thought that, well, hey, God, I'm taking over from here. I'll take care of it. God is the sustainer and the creator of all of life. He is our good Father who loves you and cares for you. He knows your needs, and he will provide for your needs. And a quick point, you know what Jesus doesn't say? Jesus does not say, don't be concerned. Because maybe when I was talking about all these things, you, you thought, well, I guess I'm just supposed to sit by and not do anything. Well, concern is actually healthy and good. But anxiety and worry is self-tormenting. It is worst-case scenario thinking, Right? And all that does is steal your joy. But concern actually shows that you care, and it allows you to make decisions that need to happen. It lets you act accordingly when you have concern, when you have care about your life. But anxiety takes you out of control. Anxiety means that the situation is controlling you, but concern means that you are still in control. You can make the decision that's necessary, right? The birds don't worry, but they still leave their nest every day and go find food, right? The birds don't sit there and just look to the sky with their beaks open. They don't sit idly by doing nothing. And so for us, we can be concerned. If you are concerned about your paycheck, if you are concerned about putting food on the table, it is good and right to work hard to provide for your family. It is good and right to put your skills and ability into practice so that you can provide for yourself and your family. But we focus on what we can control, and we allow God to do what we can't do. If you can't control it, give it to God. And if you can't control it, then do what you are supposed to do. But don't be anxious. Why? Because we have a good Father who will provide for our needs. Our second point, do not be anxious. Why? Because you are of a different kingdom. You have a good father, and you are of a different kingdom. Verse 31 and 32 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Worrying about these type of things, worrying about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, those are the types of things that the Gentiles do. And maybe you're in here and you're thinking, Well, yeah, I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew. I think for 99% of us, that's probably true. However, I think what Jesus is actually saying when he says Gentile, he's not saying one not of Jewish descent. He's saying one who does not have a relationship with Yahweh, one that does not have a relationship with God. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He say, hey, you know what the Gentiles do? Those who don't have a relationship with God, they worry, right? And what did the Gentiles do? The Gentiles would worship false gods. The Gentiles would go and they try to get the attention of their gods to get them to change their situation and their circumstances. And you know what they would do? They would cut themselves. They would mangle themselves to get the attention of these gods that didn't exist. You know what else they would do? They would sacrifice their children to get the attention of their false gods that never answered. I think about the story of Elijah and Elijah is going up against the prophets of Baal and there's like 400 prophets of Baal and there's Elijah by himself and they both make an altar and they say, all right, so here's the deal. We're going to have a little competition. We're going to pray to our gods and whoever's altar gets lit on fire from their God, that person is the winner. Yay. All right. And so the prophets of Baal are going first. There's 400 of them. They're like, hey, Baal, what's up? Light this thing on fire. Nothing's happening. They're like, hey, Baal, do you hear us? We're going to scream louder. We're going to scream and shout. Nothing happens. then what do they do? They start to cut themselves and mutilate themselves to see the, or to get the attention of their God, Baal. Guess what happens? Altar, not on fire. Elijah prays to God. He prays to Yahweh. He says, light this on fire, please, God, to your glory. <laughs> Flames, right? So looking at the Gentiles, why would they not worry? Looking at the Gentiles, they don't have a God who shows up when they need them. They don't have a God who protects them and cares for them and loves them. So they worry. It's what they do. And what Jesus is saying is that if you worry, you act as one who does not have a relationship with God. When you worry, when you are anxious, you act as someone who does not know the Lord. Remember, this text is directly connected to what we talked about last week where is your treasure? What are you devoted to? Do you store up your treasures on earth or do you store them in heaven? Choose your kingdom. Where is your heart devoted to? Are you devoted to God or devoted to the things of this earth, material possessions? If your heart isn't devoted to the things of this earth, guess what? You're not going to have anxiety about the things of this earth. But when you have anxiety about something, it is a pretty good indicator of where your heart is. So where are you devoted to? What makes you anxious? Is it your bills? Is it that payments are going to get made? Is it that you will have food on the table? Is it your health? Is it your comfort? You don't like being uncomfortable. Is it your family and their health? Is it your children and their health? Is it that everything is going to work out smooth? Is it your job? I think whatever you, keeps you up at night, whatever makes you anxious and steals your sleep, steals your joy, it's probably a pretty good indicator of where your treasure is. And so, what is Jesus' solution? Well, in verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom, or the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. I think sometimes we read this verse and we think, we just look at it by itself. We're like, all things will be added to me. So I can want a new car and see God's kingdom and I'm going to get a new car. No, these things, what you need, food, clothing, shelter, all these things will be added to you when you seek his kingdom, when you seek the righteousness of God. That is the cure. That is the antidote for anxiety. God's kingdom is. Does not look like the world's kingdom. God's kingdom is flipped upside down, that God's kingdom is countercultural. God's kingdom is servanthood. God's kingdom is with humility. It is putting God at the center of our lives. God is on the throne in the kingdom of God, not us. And I think so often in the world, what is the most important thing? You your feelings, your emotions, what you want, what you desire, what you want for your life. If anybody tries to get in your way, get them out of your life, right? That we are the focus in the kingdom of the world. But in the kingdom of heaven, God is at the center. And what does it look like to seek the righteousness of God? Well, it looks like reading his word, reading his scripture, getting in and seeing who is God, what is the character of God. And when you look and you learn more about Jesus... You're going to fall more in love with Jesus. And when you abide in Him through His Spirit, He is going to transform our hearts and our minds. We allow His righteousness to become our righteousness when we abide in Him, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time reading Scripture. It says that the scripture, that that the Bible is living and active, right? As we read it, it's not like any other book, but when we read scripture, it is uh, living and active and it can go and it can transform parts of our hearts that we didn't even know we're missing, we're messed up, we're backwards. So when we seek his kingdom, when we seek his righteousness, what happens? Well, our fear turns to faith. When we seek his kingdom, his righteousness, when we're abiding in him, our worry becomes trust. Our anxiety becomes peace. Right? When we spend time in his word, all of our needs are going to be met. When we ask God, what is it that you want for my life? How do you want me to live? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And you're doing these things. You're living in the will of God. You're seeking his righteousness. You're seeking his kingdom for your life. He's going to make your path straight. He's going to provide you with every need that you have. I look at the Apostle Paul, right? And the Apostle Paul gives us this perfect example of what it means to seek after the kingdom of God. To not be anxious, to not worry, not let your circumstances dictate your emotions, See, the Apostle Paul, if you remember, he actually was a guy named Saul, and Saul had notoriety and status, that he was a high-up religious leader, um, that he uh, was wealthy, he had influence, and he actually would live his life persecuting Christians, right? And Saul would live his life, um, and he was very good at what he did. And then what happened? He encountered Jesus. And whenever he encountered Jesus, all of the past, everything that he had done before was wiped away. He was a new man with a new purpose, with a new vision, and he even got a new name. He started going by Paul, and Paul did not live his life for his own notoriety. He did not live his life for his own influence or fame or acclaim, but what he did is he lived his life to make the gospel of Jesus spread across the entire world. He made it his purpose to travel and be a missionary and plant churches so that other people knew the story of Jesus, knew the name of Jesus, and worshiped Jesus with their life. And so no longer was it about Paul. No longer was he the center of his story, but instead Jesus was. So when people looked at Paul, who would they see? They would see Christ. And that's how he lived his life. And he was persecuted, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was thrown in prison. He spent years in prison because he shared the gospel with people. And while he was in prison, he wrote a book that we have. He wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. And so in Philippians, I want us to look at a little bit of scripture that gives us an idea of how Paul looked at his life. That how Paul, where was his treasure? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will strengthen you and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you are anxious, when you are struggling, when you are worried, make your request known to God because he is able and he is willing to listen to you, to hear you, and to meet you where you are. And what happens? When we give our cares to him, our hearts are guarded. Our hearts are guarded from the anxiety and from the worry. And we have peace. Paul had peace because he's writing this in prison Right? Let's skip down a little bit. Verse 12 through 13, he's writing to these people and he says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He has been rich and he has been poor. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Have you all heard that verse before? Have you seen that verse written on a pair of basketball shoes? that verse is probably the most taken out of context verse that i know of you put that on a coffee mug you got some 5 6 kid who grew up in the suburbs with that written on his basketball shoes cuz he's going to make the nba cuz he can do all things through christ who strengthens those calves to be able to jump and dunk that's not what that means what this verse means is that paul had found content he was content in whatever circumstance that he was in. He had a lot of money. He was rich. He had claim. He had fame. He was poor. He had nothing. He didn't know how God was going to provide. And in any one of those circumstances, I can be persecuted or I can be praised. In either one, I'm okay because God is my strength in either circumstance. When I am poor, when I am in prison, when I am beaten, when I am mocked, when I am spit on, Jesus was still Paul's strength. Paul is a great example for us of what it means to store our kingdom or store our treasures in the kingdom of heaven. That this place is not our home. That this place is not where we find our joy, our satisfaction, and our contentment. We are of a different kingdom and all of us, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and you have been given his righteousness. And so when we seek that, that is how we overcome anxiety. And the last argument that Jesus makes, Jesus says, do not be anxious because it does you no good. It <laughs> doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't help. doesn't make life easier. It just makes it harder. Verse 27 and verse 34, verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? There's another translation that says, which of you by being anxious can add a single cubit to your stature? Um, So it it can mean two things really, it can mean who by being anxious can make themselves taller or who by being anxious can make themselves live longer, doesn't really matter which Meaning we go by, right? You can't do either one, right? You can't look in the mirror and just be like, I'm going to be six foot eight. No, Renee, it ain't happening. I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 Ah, that was mean. All right. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worry does not help your tomorrow but it does steal joy from today. Worry isn't going to make tomorrow any better. Your worries, your anxieties, your fears, let me guess, they're always about the future, aren't they? Nobody ever worries about yesterday. You might worry about something that happened yesterday and how it's going to affect your future, but you're not worried about what happened yesterday. Hey, church, today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday, And I don't know if your today is any better because you worried yesterday, but what I can tell you is that your yesterday was not as good as it could have been because you were worried. It steals the joy. It steals what God has for you each day when you worry about the future. And I think it's natural. We fear the unknown. We fear what we don't know. So when we look at tomorrow, we think worst case scenario, and we fear what we don't know. But if we fear what we don't know, we can have faith in what we do know. So what I want us to do as, as we close, I want us to look at a few verses, so a few promises of God. And so whenever you are feeling attacked, whenever your anxiety is getting the best of you, whenever the, the enemy is lying to you, telling you that you have no future and no hope for tomorrow, that tomorrow is going to be miserable, it's going to be terrible, what I want you to do is I want you to use these verses. I don't care if you write them down on your mirror. I don't care if you memorize them. I don't care if you put them in your car. Whatever it is, remember these verses because these are the promises of God, and that is how we fight the lies of the enemy. We fight the lies of and the anxiety and the worry with the truth and the promises of our good Father. And so, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Listen, you will have troubles in this life. You will have hardships. You will have um, struggles. You will have tribulations. You will have issues. And so if you're worried about tomorrow because you're worried about the unknown, let me fill in the blank. You're going to have problems. It's going to happen. It's going to come. Does that make you feel better? Maybe not. But we have peace in Jesus. Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome the tribulations. He's overcome the trials. He has overcome the suffering of this life. So when those tribulations come, we know that we can still have peace because we still have Jesus. Another promise, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not, because God is with us. God is with you in your struggle. Church, freedom from anxiety does not come from a lack of troubles. Freedom from anxiety does not come from your circumstances changing. Freedom from anxiety comes because we have a good Father that we know is going to be with us in those troubles. Freedom from anxiety does not come from the changing of your circumstances, but it comes from having a good Father who is walking with you, who is fighting for you, who will not leave you, who will not forsake you, who will provide the grace and the strength that you need in the middle of your suffering. Freedom from anxiety comes because we have a Lord and a Father who cares about us, who is with us, and who meets our needs. Today has enough troubles of its own. Tomorrow is going to have enough trouble of its own. But our worry doesn't change a single thing. But instead, what do we do? We remember that we have a good father who knows our needs, who cares for us, who loves us and wants to provide for the things that we need. Not only that, but we pursue his kingdom and we pursue his righteousness. God, what do you want for my life? God, I want to pursue you, and I want to see what you have for my life, and I want to know more about your character and who you are. I hear all these people at church talk about how much they love you and how good you are. I've never experienced it, so I'm going to dive into the Word. I'm going to spend time in prayer, and I'm going to pursue you, God. And when we do that, we're not focusing on the problem, but we're focusing on our Jesus. We're focusing on our Father who is good and who loves us. We're not focusing on the material things. We live with a loose grasp on the things of this earth, but we hold tight to our eternal Father who loves us and cares for us. And so if you're in here and uh, maybe you would say that you've never had a relationship with God, maybe you listen to me talking up here and you're saying, yeah, I get it, I hear you, But I don't even know what it means to make God my father. What does it mean to have God be my dad who cares for me? In him, we can have peace. In him, he can strengthen us through the troubles of this life that you don't have to just live this life on your own in your own strength any longer. Today, that God is a good father and he is calling his children home to him. So I want to give you that opportunity. So everybody to close our eyes, bow our heads. We're going to pray. And if that's you, if you say that you had never started a relationship with God, if you would say that you don't know what it means to be a child of God, I'm going to just say a prayer real quick, and you can repeat it after me. You can do it under your breath or in your head or whatever. Say, God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you died on my behalf. Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross. You took the punishment that I deserved. And God, I'm tired of living in anxiety and fear. I'm tired of being angry because of my anxiety. I'm tired of feeling like I'm in control and the weight is on my shoulders. God, I just want to give it to you. So today that's what I'm doing. God, I'm trusting you to be my Lord to give me this peace that we've talked about today, to give me the strength to make it through because I can't do it on my own any longer. God, I don't know what it looks like to follow you, but I'm trusting right now that you will help me. If you prayed that prayer, I pray that you would be so bold to, after service, come talk to me. I pray that you would be so bold to write it on your connect card that you have made a decision to follow Jesus. And I pray that you would turn that into the giving box either on your right, door on the right or the door on the left and that you would allow somebody else to walk with you through what it means to follow Jesus. For the rest of us in here, maybe you know that God is your Father. Maybe you love Him and you trust Him but maybe you still struggle to believe that he's gonna meet your needs. Maybe you still struggle with anxiety. I pray, Father, right now, that you would give us the strength to trust you. I pray that you would beat us now as we are pursuing your kingdom, we are pursuing you in this moment, that you would meet us here, that you would give us peace, that you would give us strength. Lord, I thank you that you are a good dad, perfect father who loves his children even though we don't deserve it. I pray for peace. I pray for strength for those in this room who are trying to make it through. And I thank you that you are willing and able to provide that for us. In you we have peace. In this world we will have tribulations, but you have overcome the world, Jesus. That's where our hope is. That's what we look forward to. We thank you, God pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.